This episode of the Filmmaker Mixer podcast is sponsored by Reed's Cleaners in Austin, Texas. We launder everything but money. This episode is also sponsored by Piers Henry Headshots, shining the spotlight on you. Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. Today, we have on a very exciting guest. That is Mark Bristol. Mark talks about his life as a storyboard artist for blockbuster movies like Mission Impossible and Top Gun Maverick. And he also discusses the new feature film he directed, Chocolate Lizards, which just had an amazing premiere at the Dallas International Film Festival. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and tonight we are chatting with Mark Bristol. Mark is an award-winning writer-director. He just produced and directed his second feature film, Chocolate Lizards, starring Thomas Hayden Church, Carrie Ann Moss, Rudy Pankow, and Bruce Dern. Bristol is also a storyboard artist. He has worked with directors including Christopher Nolan, David Fincher, Spike Jones, Terrence Malick, and Christopher McQuarrie. He's done storyboards for Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Fallout, and Dead Reckonings Part 1 and 2. I think it's safe to say, Mark, you're a very busy fellow. <laughs> so thank you for joining us on the show. Well, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I really, really appreciate it. So folks that listen to the show know that Andrew and I both started making movies, you know, with our friends when we were kids. I shot Super 8 film and VHS with my buddies Todd Spencer and Merle Bertrand and Andy Sainan and Steve Dockmeyer and the whole gang of us back when we were kids. So we're always curious how our guests got into filmmaking and storytelling. How did that start for you? Well, it'll take us all the way back to 1977, uh, actually probably about this day. Uh, in in late May, when Star Wars hit the theaters, and uh, my entire family went to go see it, and I was eight years old, and though I, you know, didn't know exactly how, you know, I sp- I very vividly remember walking out of the theater, and just uh, you know there'd been a tidal shift in my life, and you know I'd always been an artist, I'd always been drawing, always had, you know grew up in a family of, of that loved film. But once Star Wars came out, it just ignited my imagination. And, you know, what few books were available on the making of the movie. And I first started to get a glimpse of concept art and of, of, you know, Joe Johnston's storyboards. And so, you know, I just it was all Star Wars all the time. And then uh, but I still didn't really figure out like you could actually make a career out of this. I, I just loved movies and 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 obsessed over them. And and it was such a wonderful time, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties to just be consuming everything on VHS or going to the theater. Uh, but it really wasn't until uh, nineteen eighty one, when I was eleven, that Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, and they published a companion book called. Uh, the, I have it around my shelf. Um, oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the illustrated screenplay. And in it, it had the script, which I'd never seen a screenplay before. And it had storyboards, which was amazing. And so again, Joe Johnston and, uh, Ed Veru and, 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 and a number of other artists. And I, it finally hit me, my gosh, these artists have helped, you know, at the time, my favorite filmmaker, Steven Spielberg to pre-visualize his film. And so I was hooked. Uh, I started teaching myself how to storyboard off of that book. And, you know, like, what does this arrow off the panel mean? And it says dolly. What's a dolly? You know, this is way before the internet and 
you know, we lived at the time we lived in Montana. So, you know, there was nothing on really on filmmaking in the library. So you just had to figure it out, you know, and and uh, so I trained myself off of that book uh, and started doing my own storyboards of just movies I had in my head and uh, kept drawing. Um, And then incredibly enough, my Little League baseball coach, once we moved back here to Austin, this is now like 14, was Bill Whitliff, who wrote- Oh, no kidding. Yeah, who wrote, you know, Lonesome Dove, uh, the the adaptation, and and one of my childhood favorites, uh, The Black Stallion. And um, I was on his team and I really sucked at baseball that year because I needed glasses <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know it. But I just sat on the bench and talked movies with Bill. And eventually, you know, uh, he invited me over to his office and I, I showed him my my nascent storyboards and all the artwork I was doing. And and, you know, incredibly enough, he became my mentor and uh, and and gave me my first job in the industry. No kidding. That's yeah, amazing. So, uh, there's a there's the long answer to how it started and and then how how the career a- actually began. So would you consider that your big break in your career, or is it something oh. else? And how would that big break you consider come about exactly? Oh, absolutely. I'll never forget the moment uh, going. He he had a television series uh, here in Austin uh, at the time, and uh, called Ned Blessing and. I did some initial drawings for him and I went into his office to, to, to give them to him. And he wrote me a check and he leaned across his desk and he said, welcome to the film industry. And I, and how old were you then? Oh, I was still in college. So, you know, early twenties. Wow. Uh, this was May, I think 1991. Um, and it was a massive big break because I did that job. Um, and then the production manager, I believe uh, from Ned Blessing uh, that next summer w- was working on Days Confused, and so that was then I got Days Confused, and and literally it's just been an ongoing you know movie after movie, TV after TV show after TV show, commercial after it's just it's 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 blossomed uh, from that moment of Bill leaning across the desk and and shaking my hand and and, and welcoming me to the film industry and it was just one of those amazing lucky breaks of you know what are the odds that my little league baseball coach would be one of the few working screenwriters in austin texas and 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 just such a wonderful uh giving uh, man and and uh, great amazing storyteller and and so yeah so that that's that's how it started so i'm curious what the process of creating storyboards for a major film is like in other words um do you go through development meetings with the producer and the director? I mean, do you have to organize their ideas? You're you're reading a script, you're meeting with them. What's the actual process of taking their thoughts and turning it into a visual guide? Well, every project is different. Uh, the needs of the project are different. Uh, the style of the director uh, is is different. Uh, the you know, so you have to be able, you have to be very flexible and just be prepared for anything. And, and that really also just comes with experience. Um, and so, but typically, you know, you're you're hired and, and the producers will say, you know, we're, we want to just work on the visual effects or the stunts. Uh, and here are the scenes that that we're that we're thinking about. And so, you know, you do you read the script and you make your notes and you connect with the art department, you connect with the locations. What I what I what I do is I need to build the world in my mind. 
because storyboards are done, you know, on on like the Mission Impossible films, you know, eight months before production, uh, if not longer. Uh, you know, on a on a smaller film or you know, commercial, it could be days ahead of time. But I need to build the world in my head so that I can see it instantaneously when I when I meet with the director. And so, location photographs. You know, what kind of car are they driving? Uh, if it's at a, a you know a, an airport, what kind of airplanes are there? You know, I, I have to I have to see the geography so that uh, so that I can um, when I'm sitting with a director, you have to be prepared to uh, to work at the at, at the at the speed of their mind. And so many directors, kind of like I'm talking now, uh, you know, see it in their head and they want to talk very quick and they'll tell you all the shots and you have to be able to to see it see it as cinema does, see it as a camera sees it. And so, you know, being versed in cinema and knowing the language of cinema, knowing, uh, you know, what lenses and, and you know, what a, what a, what is a rich composition if you're in a, you know, a two shot over the shoulder with this type of background. And so all of that has to, has to be rapid firing in your brain. And, and so you have to do all of the, the prep work work and then you know the initial meeting is set whether it's on zoom these days or in person and uh and and then it's getting to know the director and getting to know you know are they a director like uh john lee hancock is is somebody who is incredibly specific about what they uh what they want um and he can't draw i mean i always say thankfully None of the directors I worked for can draw. If they did, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, but he, what he does is he does overhead plans. So you know he's written the script, so he's intimate with the story. You know, hopefully we know the location. If we don't, we're sort of just coming up with a an approximation. And then he'll literally send me overhead plans. Okay, the actors are here. Camera one is here. Camera two is here. The dolly is going to take us here. Then the blocking here. Like he'll block out the entire scene. So he clearly sees it in his head very vividly, but can't draw it and needs somebody like myself, obviously, to visualize it so that he can share it with the crew and then they can, you know, very clearly understand his vision. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other is sort of a mid ground where the director has a clear idea, but they're still sort of searching for things. So it's a discussion. And and in that, if you feel as though it's your place, you can, you know, you add to it like, hey, what about this? Or have you thought about this? So, oh, that's a great idea. Or, you know, that doesn't work, but what about this? So you're having this creative discussion. And through that, I'm taking my notes, these quick little thumbnail sketches uh, or just written notes. And then on the other end of the spectrum is, you know, uh, like on the Mission Impossible films. So Mission, you know, I'm one of the first people they hire because Chris McCory and I have been working together for 25 years. Uh, and we met at the Austin Film Festival. And, I'll, you know, I'll tell you that story if, if you'd like. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And, and so Chris, uh, you know, Chris often in the early stages comes to me for, for, for new ideas. And so because they're still developing the story, they're still developing the script. And so, you know, he and Tom will come up with some, you know, phenomenal idea. And then, and then he'll call me and it's like, yeah, so, you know, Tom wants to outrun an avalanche. What, what would that look like? <laughs> and so I'll go off and do all this research and pull photographs and, and then do a, a, a round of, of drawings, very, very rough to present an idea. 
And and we do that for a few months as the ideas are beginning to gel, you know, and, and inevitably 98% of those ideas fall away, but there's a kernel of an idea inside of there that then germinates and turns into, you know, with Chris's incredibly fertile mind, turns into the story. And then once we're in production, then, you know, again, he'll always tell me the story. Uh, it's only until later in the process does Chris begin to get really specific with shots. Um, but he, he, you know, he's such an incredible storyteller. So he'll just tell me the story and I'm just taking notes furiously. And then I go back and, and do a version of that in the storyboard. And then we iterate on it. And then we do another version. We, we iterate on it. And, you know, the thing with mission is the story is always evolving because Chris and Tom are, that's how they like to work. And so you as a storyboard artist, and I'm, on, I'm the only storyboard artist on those movies. And that's why you're on them for, you know, up to like three years because you, so you're iterating and you're, you're, you're rolling with the evolving story and changing the boards to, you know, and eventually, and it's usually after version eight, you get to a, a version of the, of the storyboards that he approves. And once they're approved, uh, sometimes they go to previs or sometimes they just remain as storyboards. And remarkably enough, you know, uh, he he shoots the storyboards for the most part. You know, always a director is going to change things when actors, you know, organically come on on set and and come in with their own great ideas. But it's an immense thrill on mission um, to put so much work into the visual design and then to watch the film and see it up on screen is 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 phenomenal. So again, that's a very long answer uh, taking you through you know, many, many different styles of, of directors and, you know, but you just have to be prepared for any and all of that. Cause you never know what the, what the director's style of interaction with a storyboard artist is going to be. So that's, that's interesting because I think a lot of people think that you do the storyboard and it's like, this is what we're, what we're going to shoot. But what you're saying is there's also um, an element of doing storyboards to figure out new actions and new ways to approach a scene as well. So that's, that's interesting. Well, that is only on mission impossible. Gotcha. Mission impossible. The, you know, the four films that I've done are their own unique process, unlike any other movie. And again, because Chris and I have worked together for so long and we trust each other, you know, he trusts me. Um, that, that, you know, I, that I'm a part of his creative process as he's developing these ideas and then honing them into a final, you know, vision. So that is an incredibly rare and wondrous experience to, to be able to, you know, to be invited to the creative table, uh, with, with Christopher McQuarrie and, and his amazing team of filmmakers, many of whom I've worked with now for four movies. And uh, but that that's incredibly rare. Usually it's here's the script. Here are the scenes we want you to work on. Uh, here's the first one we'd like to tackle first because of X, Y, Z reasons, you know, and then you have your meeting with the director and, you know, you move through it and the boards are approved and you move on to the next scene. That is primarily how it goes. I think it's only because Chris and I have worked together for so long um, that he likes to invite me early because he's, you know, he is one of the, I think, the greatest storytellers in Hollywood right now, but he's always looking for new ideas and always looking for, you know, something he may not have thought of. Um, and so that's what he often comes to me for. 
is to see it from a different perspective or to, you know, through my artwork, give him a, a shot or an idea or a sequence of ideas that inspire him. And then he can iterate on that and, and, and turn it into, you know, his, his, uh, his vision for it. So yeah, that, that's incredibly rare. Staying on the storyboarding topic, I'm curious how much it has evolved over the years. You know, I'm guessing years ago it was all done by hand and now it's probably been digitized and possibly streamlined since then. And I'm wondering what your opinion is on, you know, how it's come so far and where it might go in the future. Yeah, very cool question. Um, you know, I've been doing this for, I guess, a little over 30 years now. So, yeah, in the beginning, I didn't, you know, again, I didn't, I didn't, other than Joe Johnston, who was marker and ink, and I had seen Mentor Hubner's storyboards from Blade Runner, which were charcoal. And so I didn't really know the tools. I just had to figure it out. And so like on Days Infused, I used pencil and charcoal just because I don't even know why. I think just because I'd seen, you know, the, the, the Blade Runner storyboards and thought, okay, well, if they're using charcoal, I guess I should. And so, but by the time... You know, um, but pretty quickly I moved to marker. So you would, you would draw, you'd sketch. I always, I always do my thumbnails uh, in pen on paper, uh, still to this day, because it's such a quick iterative process. And that's where I design the scenes, and that's where I design all the compositions, and 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 the flow of the entire sequence. So you know, you may have three or four pages. You may have ten pages where you've designed every shot. And then you have to take it into a format that people can, you know, that the crew can very easily understand. And so I usually do three panels per page. Again, probably because I saw that in Raiders of the Lost Ark and that's what Joe Johnston did. So, you know, uh, why break it? And and so, yeah, I started off with marker and ink, uh, the thin red line, which is currently uh, the storyboard's for that are currently on display at the Harry Ransom Center as a part of their magnificent art of storytelling uh, exhibit that runs through July. If you live in Austin, I couldn't re recommend it more. Uh, those are those are also marker and pen. And here's an interesting thing about that time. And, and I think of being an artist growing up before Photoshop is it was incredibly arduous to, you know, if you made one mistake, you had to redraw the entire panel. There was no control Z there. You know, you uh, if you if if the director wanted to make a change, you had to cut the panel out. You had to redraw another panel. You had to paste, you know, either tape it or glue it down then photocopy it and present the new revision to the director, you know, and then another change would come. And so it taught me at, at an early age to to just not make mistakes. Once I committed, you know, you sketch it in pencil for H. Then you ink it in, and then you then I would use marker to add some some tonality, and um, I I just you know I I train myself to just once you once you commit, uh, you, you don't make a mistake, don't make the drawing inaccurate in any in any way because otherwise again you'd have to redraw it, and that's really served me well moving into the digital age. So up until literally this last job, I've still used pen and paper. I still sketch all my all my panels in pencil, ink them in, then scan them in Photoshop, and then clean everything up in Photoshop and add tones in Photoshop. And so it's it's kind of a half and a half. 
only until this last job uh, on on Tron 3 have I gone completely digital just because the workflow kind of requires that process. Um, plus it's Tron, it kind of feels like it should be all digital. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's, you know, uh, I've run the gamut of, of I would say 99% of the storyboard artists today are all digital. Most of them work on um, iPad. Uh, I still like to do the Wacom with Photoshop. It's just me. Um, and yeah, so it's, you know, I think the early days really informed. Uh, and, and you know, again, even though I'm doing digital, I still, once I commit to the final render, you know, I, I try not, you know, you try not to make mistake uh just let it let it flow out and you know you've done so many of these that that it just sort of naturally just um you kind of naturally hit the mark so on your website you talked about the helicopter chasing from mission impossible fallout and you said you worked on that for six months which sounds pretty intense incredibly fun incredibly fun but probably still intense can you walk us through that what is involved in that six months of work and how many passes did you have to do to make that given scene Sure. Yeah. Uh, on my website, if, if you if if your audience wants to go, there's a there's a video on there that shows the it's the side by side and it shows the storyboards uh, and 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 the action from the film, and you can see how close the storyboards, which again, yes, took about six months of of iterations, but how close the storyboards are to the final film, and that's the point. That's what you're after, because especially on a sequence like that where Tom Cruise you know, trained for well over a year to fly his own helicopter. And unlike other stunts in mission where there's always a, you know, a safety net or a, a safety cable, there is no safety net in a helicopter. One mistake and it's over. So the storyboard process for that had to be incredibly exacting and had to go through, you know, it, first of all, I had to deliver Chris's vision, uh, but it also had to, you know, one of the biggest challenges on that was deciding where to mount the cameras on the helicopter so that a it, it you know captures the action in a dramatic form but also does not impede Tom's view out of the helicopter or or balance the helicopter inappropriately so that his flying is is impeded so uh so because of that there were so many meetings and so you know there were so many departments that had to weigh in on the storyboards and make sure that everything was going to be achievable and safe. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it started again with Chris telling me the story and, 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 you know, he, he had it all in his head he and Tom and, you know, had worked it all out. And so he just tells me the story and, um, and I, and again, I take my notes and then it, the first thing he asked me to do was go through all the location footage because they'd already shot all of this incredible footage in New Zealand. And so the first thing you want me to do is, is tie the story into these location, you know, helicopter video of moving over all these incredible vistas and through canyons, you know, start to hone that in. So here's the story. Then I did an edit of all of the location videos and, you know, labeled them her the story so then we had a big meeting and they showed the video you know so we could you know start to hone in on the vision start to hone in on the locations and then from that once the location videos got 
you know, close to, you know, approved or, you know, hey, this is getting closer. Then I started doing the drawings. And, and uh, you know, A, I needed, you know, as with everything with Chris and myself, you have to, you have to know the geography. You're not going to be able to, you know, design a, a, a helicopter sequence through a canyon unless you know what the canyon looks like and that this, this bend turns to the left and then it widens up to the right. Well, that's going to inspire action. That's going to inspire how you're going to compose your shots. And so that was really important for me and for the production to, to get a, a, a first pass on the location video. And then I could really start to design the shots. And so, yeah, <clears throat> I, I think I did a, if I remember, I did a first pass, very rough. Like when I say rough, the ideas are all solid, but the artwork's super quick because, you know, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on the artwork knowing full well that it's going to change. And I just wanted to be able to show Chris an entire, like the entire helicopter sequence or, or a large chunk of it, you know, in, 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 in our meeting. And so I did a really quick, I think I used like a ballpoint pen and just drew out the sequence super quick. And then, you know, it still took three or four days to, because it was such a massive sequence. And, you know, and the shots are fairly complicated with all the different helicopter angles. But anyway, you know, and then you meet with Chris and we go through him and you, you gauge what he likes, what he what he doesn't like. Or he'll tell me, oh, you know, Tom and I talked about this and, that, you know, we've changed this. Uh, we've changed that, you know, or. You, you just he's able to give you all the responses that from all the meetings he's had, you know, and then we we iterate, we change, we start to, you know, again, it evolves into the next version, the next version. And uh, and again, you know, and, and, and usually you try to approve a section of it. And and this one was a really important one to take it to previs, which is, you know, for some of the audience may not know what that is. It's a rough 3D model. They'll, they'll, they would map out the terrain and then have, you know, 3D models of the helicopter and, and a likeness of Tom. And so because it's a moving helicopter sequence, the storyboards can give you a lot of information, but they can't fully take you through how, you know, this tracking shot, you know, behind Tom's helicopter over this precipice as he begins to dive and spiral in a corkscrew. You know, you can't really understand what that's going to look like visually completely through a storyboard. So we took it to animatic. So we would finish the storyboards in a chunk, get them approved, and then we move into animatic. And then I would move on to the next section, get that one approved so that we could always be feeding the animatic team. And ultimately, by the end, you know, you want to have as much of the of the sequence done in animatic uh, as the final piece uh, to to solving the puzzle. So that's why it just took so long. Um, and also it's such a massive sequence. So, uh, uh, yeah. And, and again, if you, if you go to the website, you'll see, I'm so proud of how, how close the final shots and compositions are to, to what Chris shot. And ultimately, uh, you know, of course he always makes it better. And of course, Tom always comes up with better ideas. And so, you know, it evolves, even after the storyboards and the previews, of course, things become uh, better and more exciting. And, and uh, you know, it's always, it's kind of funny to me. Sometimes I'll watch the movie and I'll see that they've come up with a better shot or a better, a better idea, you know, and I'm always like, darn it, you know, why didn't they think of that? So it's, it's <laughs> kind of a nice little uh, 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 
uh, for me, it's, it's, it can be humorous also like, oh, well, you know, that was a great solution to that problem. Like, oh, I remember one thing we did, like we couldn't figure out how, uh, no, how, um, oh shoot, uh, 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 Henry Cavill's character, I, I can't remember his name, how he figures out that Ethan is in the other helicopter. At one point, we did scenes where he pulls up a sniper rifle and he looks for the scope and he sees Ethan. And, you know, Chris never quite liked that. And so we said, let's just put a pin in this and we'll, we'll figure out something else. So inevitably, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's Walker. That's it. Walker's helicopter rises up, you know, side by side parallel to Tom's helicopter. And then Tom came up with that great idea or that great line. Um, oh, shoot. Now I'm forgetting it, but you'd have to see the film. But it's like, uh, that's right, prick. You know, and then you get Walker's reaction and then he pulls out the machine gun and opens up on him. And so, uh, you know, again, that was a, such a perfect audience, um, you know, a, a thrilling moment for the audience that they, you know, they clearly figured out on set that we hadn't quite figured out in the storyboards. And so that happens a lot as well. And you also got to do some work on uh, Top Gun Maverick. And I, I think I heard on one of the other podcast interviews you did, you did that uh, you actually got to watch the movie at Tom Cruise's house. Uh, tell us that story. Oh, well, that was that was uh, remarkable. So I it was 2019. I you know been called to London to start Mission Impossible Seven, which in and of itself was an immense thrill, and I you know adore going to London and uh, and so Chris uh, and Eddie Hamilton, his his remarkable editor, who has you know done all the last four Mission Impossible films. Was you know was also the editor on Top Gun Maverick, and so I guess I was there for about a week or so, and and they needed some additional shots um, that they were gonna that they were gonna do, uh, and they wanted me to do animatics so they could cut it into the picture, and so they asked, yeah, do you mind taking a break from uh, from Mission Impossible for a week to go work on Top Gun Maverick? And this for me was just an absolute thrill because you know in 1986 summer of you know, I was going into my senior year and of course Top Gun was the movie. And, uh, you know, I must've done so many drawings back in high school of, of Tom Cruise, you know, as Maverick. And, and, uh, so the, the opportunity to go and work on it was just a dream. And then, yeah, they said, well, uh, you know, you need to see the film before you get started. Um, you know, we'll set up something. I'm like, great. So I was just expecting like to go into Eddie's, you know, edit bay and, and watch the film. But no, they gave me an address of somewhere in London and I showed up and I'm like, this is interesting. And, um, and sure enough, uh, as I was buzzed in, I, I, uh, I was soon greeted uh, by uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, Joe Kaczynski, the director, uh, the editor of the first Top Gun, Eddie, the editor of Top Gun Maverick, uh, the producers. And then, uh, you know, soon thereafter, Chris and Tom arrived. So it was an unbelievably surreal and thrilling moment to be sitting there like two people over from Tom Cruise watching Tom Cruise watch, you know, a pretty, pretty complete version of Top Gun Maverick back in 2019. Um, it was just extraordinary, uh, you know, something I'll never forget. You know, if, if I could think back to my high school self sitting there drawing Top Gun images and, and, and you know, had I known that. Many years later, 25 years later, I would be 
sitting in Tom, uh, Tom Cruise's house watching the sequel. Uh, you know, my 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 high school self. Um, I guess you he probably he probably say bravo. You know, like okay, <laughs> you actually made a career uh, being a storyboard artist, but it, it seems rather un- unbelievable. So I'd like to pivot to your new movie that you directed, Chocolate Lizards. Tell us uh, how you got involved in that project and the initial stages behind it. Sure. So, um, yeah, that's a, also an amazing story. So I was originally attached to direct the movie uh, 20 years ago. And No kidding. Uh, yeah. So uh, Julie Denny uh, wrote the original screenplay and uh, invited my friend um, Cohen Wooten to produce it. And he recommended me to direct it all those years ago. But we couldn't quite pull the financing together. And so, you know, we remain friends. Uh, Cohen and I have worked on many projects and, you know, our writing producing partners. And so, uh, but then Julie Denny came back to me um, in 2020, 2019, and said, uh, we've got some money to back offers to cast. Um, I'd like for you to direct the film again which I was so touched and so honored. And so, of course, the first person I called with Co- was Colin Wooten. And uh, we we started working on, on the project, um, working with Julie on the script. Um, and uh, we worked on it for about a year and a half. Uh, and, you know, as I always told Julie, with a great script, we have the opportunity to get a great cast. And with a great cast, we have the chance of making a great movie. And sure enough, with the the the, the script in hand, um, you know, we we got the inevitable call from our casting director that Thomas Hayden Church loved the script and was interested in playing the lead in our in our movie. And uh, you know, the only thing was he had a window in October, so that was three months away. So the four producers were sitting around the table drinking wine, dreaming about this movie that they hoped to make one day. And from that moment, uh, we were in pre-production and uh, off to the races. And so it went from four people sitting around a table to about 180 crew and the most remarkable cast a director could ever hope for. Um, and we, you know, we were in we were first day of principal photography was was in October of 2021. And and it just was uh, a, a, an incredible experience and i'm so immensely proud of the film um we won uh, audience uh uh choice for best narrative feature at the dallas international film festival that was just a few weeks ago right yeah yeah Yeah. so that was an absolute thrill no what that was the first time we'd shown it to an audience we'd had a test screening or not a test screen we'd had a editorial screen at the very late stages of editing and we showed it to you know a bunch of friends and family uh and got great feedback and really, you know, helped confirm a lot of things that we were still exploring in the edit. But still, that was a fairly limited audience. Um, and 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 a lot of them knew about the project. So to be, you know, in Dallas, I think there was like 700 people in the theater. It was the response of the audience was just remarkable. The laughter, the tears, standing ovation. So as a filmmaker... You, you just can't ask for a better uh, experience than that, and and uh, yeah, so I can't wait for uh, for for you all to see it. We're currently still working on selling it, uh, which is going very well, and we'll um, you know hopefully uh, have some news uh, about its release 
forthcoming. So I'm, I'm curious in, in putting the film together, the film financing, so you had money to go to cast and did, then did you use the cast attachments to get the rest of the money? How did, how did the financing work on that film? Well, it's an independent film. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's financed through investors and, uh, yeah. So really it was, you know, once Thomas came on board soon thereafter, Bruce Stern came on board and that, and with those two, you know, amazing actors, 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 you know, um, Hollywood took interest. And so Rudy Pankow, uh, came to us, which was an immense, uh, thrill. Uh, my son, you know, his favorite TV show at the time, um, it was Outer Banks. And so, you know, almost nightly he was showing me scenes of Rudy, and saying you've got to cast this guy, he's so great. You got to cast him, and, and inevitably we we did. Julie Denny was a huge proponent of that as well. And then Carrie Ann Moss uh, was the last to join us, and thank goodness because she really brought. She came to the table and said, "You know, I love the story. Uh, I, I love the script, but the character of Faye Brown was was a little bit of a background character." And so she asked us to, you know, what what ideas do you have that we could enhance that role and and thank goodness for that because we we pitched Carrie Ann and her manager uh, uh you know a, a list of ideas of how we could you know really expand her character and uh and then once we delivered the script uh based on those ideas she signed on and 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 again it just made the story so much richer so much better and her performance in the film is gorgeous and so um yeah, so you know that's you know, the, there's the old saying. Um, I think Robert Altman uh, was the one that, that originally said it that you know ninety percent of directing is is casting. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it, it, true. You know, I, I storyboarded most of the film, so I knew the visual language that I was going to uh, direct the movie in. You know, I've directed uh, you know uh, numerous things, so I was very very confident, very very comfortable in in how I was going to shoot it. Had an incredible cinematographer. In, in Matthew Wise and uh, uh, so and it just you know but it's all about the performance you know if you don't have a great performance then it doesn't matter how great your shots are so with this cast you know it was it was effortless they all brought incredible ideas to the table Thomas was the most incredible gift to I mean because the last movie I directed was like 20 years ago and so for the most you know I might as well be considered a first-time director and so he and I would talk on the phone for hours a day um, and got to know each other and got to trust each other. And so I think on those first couple of days of shooting, um, you know, he was able to tell uh, the other actors like, you know, uh, trust this guy. Um, and and I think that I, I believe that that, you know, um, was one of the greatest gifts that he gave in the movie, uh, you know, in just uh, establishing um, trust amongst all of us, amongst the artist and the director, so we could just get down to work. And um, and they were just an, an incredible. All, every single one of them uh, brought their own ideas and um, you know talent to the table. I, I like to create a set where everybody's ideas are 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 are, are welcomed. Um, and it's you know it's the job of the director to filter those and decide which ones you want to utilize. In the moment, whether it's, you know, I mean, our, 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 one of the guys in the, in the grip department came up with a hilarious gag in the movie. I'm like, great, that's it. It's going in the movie, you know, and, and so if you can create an environment to where everybody 
is welcome to to provide their ideas, you know, and then it's your job to decide which ones to to use. You're, you're going to get the best of people, and that and you, you get it from your actors, you get it from your crew, um, and and ultimately we're all there to serve the story. We want to make the best story possible, so you have to remove your ego from the equation and just be there to serve the story. So I have found from directors that I deeply admire, like Christopher McQuarrie and or Ken Quapis, uh, you know, is to have a really positive attitude and 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 be inclusive and inviting people. And I and I, I was I'm always surprised at how many actors on my movie would come up to me, you know, even after some of the premieres and like, what a refreshing style that is that most films or, or TV shows that they're on, you know, the directors aren't as uh, open. Uh, that's really surprising to me. Um, so anyway, it was, it, was a, it was an absolute dream project. Well, what's coming up next? Well, uh, Cohen Wooten uh, and myself are busy writing. Uh, we've got a, another uh, project that we hope to get made called Generation X that we're working on right now. Um, and uh, while, while we're doing that, uh, I'm storyboarding um, Tron 3. Uh, so that's an immense thrill uh, and a great experience. Uh, yeah, so just always trying to, uh, you know... Um, Stay creative and uh, stay uh, employed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, this has been uh, a really wonderful conversation. You've uh, had so many great experiences and worked on so many amazing movies. Um, you know, we wish you the best of luck with uh, your new feature and the new projects you're working on. And definitely stay in touch and uh, keep us up to date on all the stuff you're working on. Guys, I really appreciate it. Uh, it was just a, a wonderful conversation. And, and uh, you know, the... The storyboard artist uh, by nature is a very humble, quiet, behind-the-scenes uh, uh, job. And so it's always a pleasure when I have an opportunity to, to, to talk more about it. And Because uh, most people uh, don't even know what storyboards are or how they're utilized in movies. And uh, so I always appreciate that opportunity. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, your audience will uh, get out there and see Chocolate Lizards when it is finally released. Absolutely. You know, maybe um, when you have the, uh, you know, the, the release, maybe we can have you back on for just a quick, uh, you know, update on what's going on and, and where people can find it. That'd be fun. Uh, absolutely, guys. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Jeff Weber. Our theme music is composed by the man with the golden keyboard, Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.